Hello, everybody. I'm so glad that you are with us right now because today we're continuing a series that we really felt like was for 2023, that, that thought that we need to increase biblical literacy, pe- people's understanding of the foundational truths of Scripture and how they pertain to our lives. So as we look at this, I just want to start by saying thank you to Pastor Carl Jones, who last week preached a fabulous message uh, on friendship. And, and what, what a great topic that not just say you should have friends or how many friends or how to treat your friends or three ways to have better friends. It wasn't. Here's a biblical foundation for understanding God's purpose in putting you in community. And so today we're going to take that, uh, the same thing we've been talking about, sin and salvation, faith and deeds. We talked about the church, the ecclesia, and last week we talked about friendship. Today we're coming back and we're talking about marriage. And, and the, the reason I say that is, wow, if there's any institution in the land today that is under direct assault from every direction, it is this covenant relationship of marriage. What it is, what does the Bible say about it? Who's involved in it? Who's not involved in it? What is a marriage? What isn't a marriage? And so today, we're going to try to build that biblical foundation, not, not three steps to a happier marriage, not the five pillars of joy in marriage, not it, literally what is marriage as God defines it, and hopefully in understanding this, we'll, we'll grasp some, some really practical things for ourselves today. Those of us that are married, those of us that are single, we say, I'm single. Does this apply to me? Yes. You're a part of the body of Christ. It applies to you. And I would rather learn how to fly a plane when I'm on the ground than at 30,000 feet. So if you're single, like, get it. Get it now. Um, you, you, you need it. Uh, you want to have it when you need it. So why is this such a big deal? Number one is this. God designed the home, the family, as the primary foundation of the kingdom of God on earth. And I, I can hear you already saying, wait a minute, that's, shouldn't I say the church is the primary foundation for the kingdom? No. If you think about what scripture says about the family, it says that Paul tells Timothy, listen, if, if the home is not in order, if the children, if the marriage is not in order, they can't, they can't wait tables. They can't be a deacon in the church. They, their primary ministry is not functioning. They need to put their energies there. We're not punishing them by saying you can't be a deacon. No, there has to be a foundation for being a deacon. James tells us that God won't answer our prayers if we haven't treated our spouse with with the proper respect, dignity, love, care, fidelity. Our prayers won't be answered. Um, Jesus actually goes so far as to say, or Paul says this, that if if a person doesn't care for their own family, Man, they're, they're worse than an infidel. I'm not quite sure what the word infidel means, but I'm glad nobody's calling it uh, me that. So I think what it means is someone who is so far culturally and biblically and faith-wise apart from God that they bear no resemblance. Like literally someone whose family is not in order, the Bible says they're, they're worse than an infidel. So before the institutions of like the state or the church or the family is marriage. Marriage is the foundation of the home, the foundation of the family. That is the foundation of other things, the church, the state, et cetera, et cetera. So let's go back to the beginning and labor for a few minutes in the book of Genesis to look at the first mentions of marriage, what God designed it to be, what what his purpose of it was, because that purpose, although a lot of things have changed, that has not changed. The foundational principles of marriage are, are, stand as, as if they were, were never altered from the foundations of the world till now. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, let's, let's take a look at what God does and how marriage plays a pivotal role in everything else. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. 
so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, over the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, <clears throat> and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. Wow. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, the male and the female, the family, the home. He blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, over every living thing that moves on the ground. So you say, okay, what, what does that have to do with marriage? There's a few things that I think are foundational, even to the foundation of marriage. And it's this, number one, you are created in the image of your creator. Wow. Or as a friend of mine says, shoot dang. Like, like that is, you are created in the image of God. And think about this. How important are you? And what a beautiful thing God has done for you uh, in creating you in his image. Understand this, guys. God doesn't need air. He doesn't need water. He doesn't need birds. He doesn't need a planet. He doesn't need the sun and the moon and the stars and the tides and the, the shifting seasons, all the things we read about in Genesis prior to this. He created all of those things just as a place for you. You are the zenith of his creation. You're, all this is made so that, boom, he can put you as the cherry on top of the Sunday. We're created in his image. Second thing we can get from this Genesis 1, 26 through 28 is God created them, male and female. Now, um, I, I just want to say, first of all, I don't hate anybody. <laughs> our, our, our shame and honor uh, culture that's been growing in our, in our nation for some time would say any disagreement is discrimination. I, I completely and fundamentally disagree. And I, I want you to know this. Please hear me. I, I, there's, there's two things I need you to know before I get into the male and female part of this. Number one is this. Uh, I'm not a politician. <laughs> I'm not a sociology professor. I'm, I'm not a beauty pageant contestant. I don't work for the news media. I, I'm not a lot of things. So the second thing I want you to know is what am I? I'm a teacher of the word of God. I take what I believe to be true. I, I interpret it as if I, I want to know the heart of the Holy Spirit who inspired those to write it. And I want to deliver to you with the same passion or the same gentleness, the same compassion or the same zeal that it's written with. So I, what I'm about to say is not a political thing. It's not a, a frustrated thing. It's not a media invoked thing. It's just a biblical thing that when God created the family, he created two parts, a male and a female. Um, there are only two genders. And you say, well, then, then why all the confusion? Well, I, I think it goes back to Genesis chapter 3. We, we're talking about Genesis 1. We're about to get into Genesis 2. But in Genesis 3, there's a new character to the narrative that's added, and it's the serpent, or later on he's revealed as Satan. And Satan begins the conversation of, of causing the fall of mankind with these words. Did God really say? Is, is that really? I mean, things have changed since he said, or, or um, you know, culture is shifting, or that's an old way of thinking. It. He begins to question the foundational truths, the words that God had given to Adam and Eve by which their life was to be protected, to be governed, to be blessed. That fruitful and multiplying and filling the earth and subduing it all came out of these words. Well, the devil calls into question the foundational truths of the realities of God's creation. He did it then. He does it now. I think one of the confusing things is that when Satan approaches Adam and Eve, he doesn't say, listen, you'll do this and you're going to die. He says, you do this and you're going to live better. Any, any voice that, that doesn't look at Scripture and say that's true, like they have the right to say that, we're Americans, but understand this, then what is more true 
than this truth. Well, if you smell the breath of the one who said it, it's going to smell a little bit like brimstone. Why is that? Well, because the devil's greatest trick is to get mankind to believe that God's ways are holding you back. God's ways are constraining. God's ways are confining. God's ways are, are the opposite of being liberated. If you want to be liberated, go beyond those commandments because there's a better way to live. But if you'll follow the narrative of Genesis chapter 3, life is not the end. Death is the end. The writer of Proverbs says this, that there's, there's a way that seems right to a man. But in the end, it leads to death. And in this situation, I believe nothing could be more, more true. God um, created us in his image. He created us male and female. And, and the second thing, or the third thing, wherever we're at, like there's another thing, and that is in that circumstance, we are blessed by God. There, there's these commands, fill the earth, subdue the animals, multiply, rule over the fish in the sea. Listen, we're blessed to do what God has created us to do. One man, one woman, one God, blessed. This is the biblical foundation of marriage, which is the biblical foundation of the home and the family, which is the biblical foundation of the church, which is the biblical foundation of the world around us. If we remove these pillars, the whole thing collapses. As a matter of fact, think with me for just a moment. What are the issues we're facing right now as a society? If we could fix this, one man, one woman, one, one God holding that covenant together as a, a cord of three strands is hard to break. So one man, one woman, and their God sewn together is very hard to break. What would happen to our culture if every home was a two-parent home? A, a godly man, a godly woman. Now, this is not to say if you're not part of a, uh, a two-parent home or if your, your marriage didn't work out. I'm, I'm not trying to say you're the problem. I'm trying to say there is a problem. And the solution is to go back to the foundations one man, come on, somebody say amen. One woman, their God, pulling them together in a covenant relationship, and it's hard to break, right? They're blessed. So in Genesis chapter 2, it's almost like the writer of chapter 1 doesn't change his mind, but he wants to get into more detail and almost retells the story of chapter 1 and chapter 2. And, and I want to bring some things out in chapter 2 that were not in chapter 1, but are still the counsel of God. So I'm going to skip around just a little bit. I'm going to go from Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. And then we're going to skip right down to 15 as, as if it's one line, and then 18 through 25. And this is what it says. Let's, let's see what else is in the foundation for us. It says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed, and it was nostrils, the breath of life. And the man became a living being, a living soul. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God said, You know, it's not good for man to be alone. Isn't that interesting? All the things, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. For the first time, we hear God saying, that's not good. So what's he do to fix it? He says, I will make a helper that is suitable for him. Now, the Lord God who formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky, he brought them to, to the man to see what he'd named them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. I, I imagine he fed him roasted potatoes on a Sunday afternoon after the second service and put on the golf channel because that does it for me every time. Fell asleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up that place with flesh. The Lord God made a woman from that rib that he'd taken out of that man. And he brought her to the man. The man said, I, I don't know you, but I know you. This is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. 
she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And this last verse is interesting. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. There's so much about the foundation of marriage. Let's, let's quickly get into this. What do we see in these biblical verses about the foundations of marriage? Here's, here's the first point. God gave Eve to Adam as a gift. Beautiful. Um, you may be seen at the wedding ceremony where the father of the bride brings the bride and everyone stands in honor. It's a holy moment. He who has been tasked with, with raising and responsible for the care and the feeding, the protection, the, the father, you know, the arm, and there's tears, and they walk down, and who gives this woman to this man? And the father says, you know, her mother and I, her family and I. I did a biker wedding once where the, the, the father literally said, me and the old lady. Not recommended for most marriage situations, but, but it was appropriate that day. She was a gift. It was an amazing, amazing, high-valued, beautiful gift. God had, bring him through the, had brought him through the, all the, the morning mist, you know, a monkey and a bird and a giraffe, and he gave them names. But when Adam saw Eve, he said, whoa, man, and that became her name. Woman, I'm just kidding. Um, but but it, literally, there's that moment like, wow, I know, I've never met you before, but I know you. A part of me is a part of you, and a part of you is a part of me. Blessed as a gift to Adam, but also blessed Eve to be that gift. And Adam was a, was a blessing, was a gift to Eve. Second thing we see out of this chapter two portion is she wasn't another part. She was a counterpart. What do I mean by that? Um, if Adam needed help tending the garden, another strong back, another set of hands, God would have made him a brother. God would have made him a son. But instead, he, he didn't make another part. He made a counterpart. That, 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 that uh, nut that needs a bolt. You know, that, that peanut butter that needs a jelly, um, that macaroni that needs a cheese, or if you're trying to eat better, that broccoli that really, really badly needs cheese, right? They, they're, apart from each other, it wasn't good, but coming together, the part, the counterpart, coming together, man, it was good. She was not another part. She was a counterpart, and, and she's called his helper or help meet, and I had to look that up because I, I don't, frankly, my wife is not my helper. My wife is my equal. She is an amazing leader. And so for me to say, well, you know, you should just do the dishes and feed the dog and care for the children. I, and again, I'm not demeaning those acts, but my wife has so many more gifts that God has given her that she's responsible for, and I'm responsible for her in many ways. So I, what does that mean? And I look at the word, it's, it's spelled E-Z-E-R, the, the, but it's pronounced Azer, Azer. It means an advocate, a helper, especially in times of trouble, conflict, labor, Usually this word is reserved for God himself. Uh, Israel said, uh, you know, God is our helper. He's our azure. He's, he's our advocate in times of trouble. He's our, he's our strong, um, he, he's the stuff that we're not. He has the things we don't. He's the strength in our weakness. Uh, David speaks of God as his helper, his azure. Solomon in the Song of Solomon speaks of the, the beloved and the beloved is mine and the helper. That's the word azure. Uh, we see it all over Proverbs. God is a helper, Solomon says to Israel. God is my helper, my strength in times of trouble. The Psalms, my Asia, my Asia, my Asia. So what, what is the purpose of, of woman? It's not another part. It's a counterpart. And there's something about, and ladies, hear me. I'm going to give you a clue to make your husband smile. Ready? Um, he's having a bad day. He's feeling bad about himself, lowly. There's Adam, there's Eve. The Asia comes alongside and says, you know what? You had a bad day, but you're a good man, and I believe in you. 
And I want you to go back to work tomorrow and kick its butt. I want you to go back to the office tomorrow and be the man I know you to be. You ever seen the movie Saving Private Ryan? There's hundreds of men, soldiers killed in that conflict. Blood and gore and stabbing and shooting. Hundreds of men die and not a single man in the theater sheds a tear until the end of the movie when the, the aged private John Francis Ryan of Iowa is now standing there at the tombstone of his dead captain who gave his life for him and told him to, to earn it. And instead of him saying, I've earned it, I've done a good job, I'm a good man, he turns to his wife and he says, tell me I've lived a good life. And she says, what? Tell me I'm a good man. Every man in the theater that I've ever seen that with cries at that moment. Why? Because we have this need to be told that we're a good man when we're going through hard times. It's shocking. I am the head of my home, but my wife is the neck. She turns the head in any direction she wants. Ladies, you have a superpower. Use that superpower. Men, you have a superpower. Use that superpower. Love, cherish, uh, respect, obey together. God is your witness. God is your, as your covenant maker. And these are the foundations of life. <laughs> um, here's a couple practical thoughts I just want to give you in the, the last remaining few minutes that we have. I want you to hear this. Um, marriage is, there's the thought, marriage is, what is marriage? Marriage is the surrendering of your rights, freedoms, and independence and favor of responsibilities. Rights and responsibilities. It's, it's the surrender of your rights and the taking on of responsibilities. Because we're Americans, we, we think, because of our history, we, we think about freedom from, freedom from oppression uh, in the 60s, freedom from Great Britain in the 1700s, freedom from slavery in the 1800s. We, we think in terms of freedom being freedom from, but the Bible introduces us to not just freedom from, but freedom to. These are, these are what we call constraining freedoms. I don't eat Big Macs every day, even though I have the freedom to do so, I have the money, I have the means, I, I can do that, there's no law against it, but I, I have the freedom from, the, you know, from anyone telling me how to eat, but I have the freedom to eat well. If you want to have a satisfying marriage, understand your freedoms are constrained, rights and responsibilities. I don't live as a single man because I'm happily married. It isn't my money. It isn't my time. It isn't my life. It's our money, our time, our life. We decide under God where those things go. Freedoms uh, to choose. And I, I, this is a, a quote from one of my favorite teachers, Tim Keller. He says this, he said, freedom is not the absence of restraints, but freedom to choose the liberating restraints that God offers to you, the liberating constraints. How can they be both liberating and constraining? Well, your budget is a constraint that gives you the liberty to have an abundance over time. Your schedule is a constraint that, that meets out the right amount of you at the right amount of place. So there'll always be more of you to give those who need it most. These are liberating constraints, liberating Constraints. It's weird, but marriage is a good example of liberating constraints. Second, marriage is dying to yourself in order to live for another. My time is running out, but I want to say this. After every wedding, there needs to be two funerals before there can be a marriage. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, laying yourself down for her, washing her uh, with the word as with water. Wives, submit to, believe in your husbands. Those are, again, liberating constraints that cause us to die to ourselves, to live for another. Next thought that might be helpful is marriage is really the crucible of the human soul. How are you doing with God? Let me ask your spouse. Because your spouse will always know. Because the fruit of the Spirit is enjoyed not by the tree, but by those who walk past the tree and are hungry. 
It's the crucible. It's the testing. It's the proving grounds. It's that we're, do I have enough to be patient, enough to be kind, enough to be gentle, enough not to be rude, not to be proud, not to be self-seeking, all the things Paul says love is in 1 Corinthians 13. And, and I, I love 1 Corinthians 13 because it, it really gives us a lot of detail. Love is patient, kind, gentle, doesn't boast, isn't proud, isn't rude, isn't self-seeking, isn't easily angered, keeps no record of wrongs, um, doesn't delight in evil, it rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. I, I appreciate that detail. But for myself, I, I wanted a, a, a working definition. That's all true, but I, I need to put handles on it so I can carry the weight of all of those words concerning love. And so I, I wrote this, and maybe it's helpful to you, maybe it's not. But love is the costly, committed, consistent choice. Love is the costly, consistent, committed choice to do what is best for another regardless of reciprocation. Love is laying down everything I am for another for their benefit, whether they love me back or not, whether they submit to me, whether they cherish me, whether they say good sermon, whether they say, no, that shirt doesn't make you look fat. <laughs> it's, it's the fat under the shirt that makes you look fat, but the shirt is fine. Don't blame the shirt, right? So that's what love is. And so what is the foundation of marriage? It's God, man, woman, together forever. And so I, I, just, I just wanted you to know these are the biblical foundations of marriage. And, and I just want to close with this thought, guys. There, there is um, uh, an understanding today that really disturbs me. <laughs> um, some would say Jesus was gay because Jesus and John, you know, John was the disciple whom Jesus loved. And like, you would ignore all the original language. You would ignore, like, you are twisting that to basically create a narrative of your choosing. That is, remember the rock band Twisted Scripture from the 80s? That's, that's, that's just Twisted Scripture, man. That's, there's no way, right? But as others say, well, you know, uh, cults would say that Jesus was married, had multiple wives, and had lots of children, and we can claim our descendancy from Jesus himself. That the Bible and history bears no resemblance to either one of these narratives. Jesus was never married according to the word of God. And according to all historical context, he was not married. But hear me, this is kind of cool. He will be someday. So follow me back to the beginning, before the beginning of time. God is alone. He's unique. There's no one like him. And he creates all the earth, all the sky, all the animals, and then creates a man in his image. He's not alone anymore. But the man that he created, listen to me, is alone like his creator was alone. And so God caused him to fall into a deep sleep. Golf channel, right? His belly's full, he's content. Golf channel, he's out in his lazy boy recliner. But from his, the bone in his side, he creates a woman. Now look, look what happens. God's alone, he creates a man who's alone, but creates a helper, an azure for him. Those two are blessed to be fruitful and multiply. And of the billions of people that have come out of that one covenant relationship, we find a, a remnant of believers and lovers, those who walk in faith, those who trust that what God has done for them is real. And from that, remember, God is alone, man, woman, now billions. And from that remnant, God is preparing a bride for Christ, the church. So this is more than just men and women. This is, this is the divine orchestra playing loudly for all to see. We dare not remove the pillars, not just of our world, but of the next, deceiving ourselves that there's a better way. There's no better way than the way that God has established. And so I pray for you today that you will have this, this deep and abiding understanding. Husbands, 
Love your wives as Christ loved the church, laying yourself down for her. Wives, submit to, believe in, partner with Azure to his, his Adam. Um, and in doing so, not only will we reap the benefits of those promises, the world around us, hear me, the world around us will see the picture of Christ in his church. Why is the world coming after this area almost more than any other area? Lots of Freudian explanations, lots of society professor explanations, lots of you know, money and lobbying. That's, but beyond that, deeper than that, the root of that is that from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, man has believed lies. And in the believing of lies, and the lie is that something better than what God has prescribed for us is now available to us. That's the old way. This is the new way. Hear me. The foundations are not the old ways. They're the foundations of every way. If you're single, God bless you. May God give you a spouse, should that be his will. And may you be an awesome spouse to that awesome spouse. May the two become one. If you're married, please hear me. Remember, remember, remember. It's about death before living. It's about constraining freedoms, the things we choose to do. God is in this with you. If you've been through hell and marriage is the reason why, hear me again. Um, there's nothing closer to heaven in this life you'll ever experience, and there's nothing closer to hell in this life you'll ever experience than marriage. It is the highest of highs, but it also can bring the lowest of lows. If you've been through the, the horrors of divorce or infidelity, if you've been the one that was unfaithful and you're living in guilt and shame, you're the one that was cheated on, you're living with the anger and, and emptiness and, and, and frustration of the injustice of that, just hear me. That doesn't make marriage bad. It literally just proves the point that God is good. And what he wants for you is to never experience that. God can restore what the enemy has stolen. The devil stole a lot of stuff from Adam and Eve that day, but God began the process of not just restoring them, but all of their descendants to this day. Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, is looking to the world and he's saying, who will be my bride? Let him heal you. Let him love you. Let him, let him give you the, the means by which you can forgive and move forward, love and trust. And, and that, that is for you, my friends. That is for you. Marriage, I know it's hard. I know it causes death, but it also brings so much life. All life is the result of Adam and Eve and God and the blessings. Walk in the blessings of God. Walk in the blessings of God. Trust him. These are the pillars. This is the biblical foundation of marriage. Can I pray for you? And when I say amen, um, those that are hosting these various environments will be there to lead you from here. So Father, I thank you that you have created a foundation that has not moved and will not move. It is not a fluctuating standard. Yes, it's been mistaught, it's been mistreated, it's been abused. It, it's been the tool by which people have manipulated others, but God, that, that's what man did. That's what the devil did. What you've done is establish a foundation for the whole planet with one man, one woman, one God, and one blessing. So maybe it be uh, those who would restore that understanding. Thank you, if we're men, for making us men. Thank you, if we're women, for making us women. We embrace all that you've created us to be, and we embrace the role that we play in revealing to an unbelieving world the truth of your kingdom. Bless, 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 my friends, I pray.